Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a miracle made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made, come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Fake the Nation, episode 374. Hello, hello. This is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where we admit that we didn't even try to see Taylor Swift this summer. I just didn't even try. I am your host, Nagin Farsad. I didn't click one thing for one second to try to get those tickets. I didn't try and make a connection to some person that's connected to a thing in a venue. I uh, I didn't try any. I didn't have a conversation about trying. I did not try. Um, and I don't know. This might, And I just want to be honest with everyone about it. And I don't, this might mean that my passport gets revoked. I'm not sure what the consequences are of this vulnerability that I'm now sharing. Um, but I just felt like every, we should all be on the same page. We should all know today. We're not going to talk about that, but we are going to talk about how to cancel plans. We're also going to talk about the really dumb impeachment plan uh, that should also be canceled, actually. And uh, we'll talk about how America is getting really old and that no amount of Botox is going to help the actual underlying problem. Um, I am so excited by today's panel. Turns out these two folks have worked together before, um, which is always nice when that happens. Uh, we have joining us... Um, 
for the millionth time, is a host of the longest-running news pod. Um, it's called The Gist. I've been on The Gist. The Gist is so phenomenal. I don't even know how he does it um, because he's been doing it for so long, and the frequency is, I want to say, daily. Is yeah. it daily? It might be, <laughs> I, yes, I don't, it's daily. I don't want to say daily, um, so but it's, I have to because that's accurate. Yeah, yeah. But it is. Yeah, it's daily. It's wild. It's so much information in this because this man is so smart. I've also had the honor of working with him on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me because he's so fucking hilarious and great at all times. It is the wonderful Mike Pesca. Thanks, Nadine. I want you to know I gave all my Taylor Swift money towards Jet Season tickets, anticipating... <laughs> A great season, <laughs> nice, which nice. will not happen. <laughs> um, and I am also joined uh, for the first time. Uh, we're so excited to have her on. She's host of Time's Person of the Week podcast, which you should uh, obviously be subscribing to. Um, she is the wonderful, the jubilant. And also, by the way, before we started talking, Mike was just like really um, hard recommending one of her pieces from the 2020 election. Um, um, so she's a tremendous writer, but again, host of Time's Person of the Week podcast, Charlotte Alter. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, and I also didn't try to get Taylor Swift tickets, but then I had like a 15-year-old girl meltdown about it where I was like, everybody's <laughs> going but me. And so I'm not as cool about not going to Taylor Swift as you are. Well, I, fe- I once I've heard, of, especially heard about the movie, I was kind of like, well... We're all going to be taken care of at the end of the day if we need to be taken care of in an era's way. You know what I mean? It'll be fine for everybody involved. Um, all right. I don't know. That's that's oh. how I saw Hamilton. And did I really see Hamilton just via the movie? Oh, yeah. right. No, it's like I, the see. Pale I see. Limitation but it, of but it, but it sort of. Okay, so. My other dirty secret. Oh, my God. Today's show is all about me, like, revealing my darkest truths. My other darkest truth is that I've never seen Hamlet. Um, I aspire to see Ham- uh, Hamlet. Hamilton. Hamilton. <laughs> I, have, I have seen Hamlet, unfortunately. Um, Hamilton. No, but I've better. never seen Hamilton. Um, That's right. Yeah, Hamlet, like a little bit Hamlet more. Hamlet did yeah. throw away Hamlet. Hamlet. <laughs> you could skip it. Hey, hey, Hamlet, I have some fucking notes, Shakespeare. Come on. Uh, no, but but Hamilton, I never saw. And it's it was one of those things where, like, at the peak of Hamilton, which lasted, like, two fucking years, I just, like, didn't want to be in the getting tickets game. Like anything where you have to try really hard to get tickets, I can't do it. And um and so I didn't get it and then then it, now it's easier to get tickets and I just it, now it's just like on, on a to-do list. You know what I mean? Like I just like need to get it done and fucking I I also I finally saw Oppenheimer. I don't know if you could read that in my demeanor. Um but I finally <laughs> I finally saw Oppenheimer and um and I wanted to, did you guys see Oppenheimer? I did. I was like a little I was like, what is Robert Downey Jr. doing in this movie? This this whole like bureaucratic subplot is so boring. It, it felt a little, yeah, yeah. pasted I, on. I thought it was fine. I loved it. I saw I saw it in IMAX. I thought Cillian Murphy's pores uh, deserve the best acting. Oh That's God. how big yeah. the picture yeah, yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. Like we got nostrils, we got yes. hairs on the ear, <laughs> but I, I I loved it. And I also love the fact when you think about it, the flashbacks, the further back they went were in color and the more recent ones were in black and white. So that and the A-bomb are two things that blew my mind. Wow, I didn't even noticed that until you just you didn't notice that no i was like i don't know that's how they were like helping us keep track oh wait no okay i knew that the robert downey jr parts were in black and white 
but I think I was just so I was so distracted trying irritated yeah, by I was it just like why are we hearing about this like it felt like a weird kind of culture war like knock you over the head with like people are judged by different standards according to the times right. they live in like it felt like yeah. a sort of like beat you over the head cultural commentary thing and I just wanted more about the Manhattan Project well and I will say so uh, to, to three hour long movie I the middle two hours are stressful as fuck. Like I literally had to go take a break. I told my friend like, um, yeah, like I have to go to the bathroom. I totally have to go to the bathroom. Like I really have to go to the bathroom. I just like literally need to like take a little stroll, <laughs> get some peanut M&Ms, take a breather. <laughs> like I couldn't. And I went to the, to the, um, the woman at the concession stand and I was just like, this movie is really fucking stressful. <laughs> And I needed a break. And she was just laughing. She's like, I've, I've been working here like it, for months and I can't haven't seen it yet because I feel like it's too stressful for me. And I and you're now verifying that it's too stressful for me. I shouldn't see it like and I was like, yeah, maybe sit this one out. <laughs> so even though I fucking know how it turns out. Right. Like it's we know we know that story. Uh, anyway, folks, um, let me know. Did you see Oppenheimer? We weren't planning on talking about it. Let's get into topic number one. While I wouldn't quite say it's trendy to opt out and stay in, the tweets, t-shirts, mugs, and art aren't exactly discouraging this behavior either. Says an article that we read on Canceling Plans and Self.com. Now, do you feel, again, like, I, I would almost say trendy is what I would call it. Do you feel like canceling plans is happening more or less or the same as before? And by before, I mean before the pandemic or before 2010 when the internet exploded or, you know, I don't know, some kind of amorphous before. It's not happening as much as, I mean, it is happening a lot more than during the pandemic because there were no plans to cancel. That article that you sent around is from Self Magazine and the subhead is, Opinion, if you have a packed calendar and a pressing need for to practice self-care, this one's for you. And I was thinking a lot about the phrase self-care. Can't we just take the care part and replace it with ish? Self-ish? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't most of what's called self-care just being selfish? And out of curiosity, I did a control F. The number of times the word self comes in this self-magazine article, and, you know, granted, it's going to come on the title, is 31 times. That's way too much obsession with the self. It can be rude depending on how you do it, but I don't know if it's a trend unless this is the whole thing about cancel culture that they're prattling on about, and I just missed the point. (laughs) I don't know. Charlotte? I mean, so, okay, so I have to, I'm coming at this from somebody who is an introvert who is really good at pretending to be an an extrovert. So, like, people meet me, and I'm not shy, and I, you know, and I'm a professional reporter, so I go up and ask people questions, and they think that I'm an extrovert, but actually I'm an introvert. And for me, I think this whole question of like, are we overscheduled? Is it, can you cancel plans? Is it rude? Is really more of a symptom of like plans, making a plan with somebody is like too baked into our social like niceties kind of like there should be a way to see somebody and be like, or to like run into somebody or to email with them or whatever, like to see somebody in a, in some context and be like, Hey, so great to see you. Like, would love, you know, like, love to, you know, love to have you in my life. You're a wonderful person. And to not have that interaction 
end with making another plan. Like for me, I feel like we're all so overscheduled because we don't have a way to say like, hello, person in my life. Um, I care about you. I wish you the best. I like, I like you a lot. I don't want to make a plan with you. Like, I don't want to do it next week. I don't want to do it three weeks from now. I don't want to do it in November. I want to continue to have a nice, friendly relationship with you and not have a plan on the books. And that is it. (laughs) How do you, but how do you maintain a nice, friendly relationship with someone when you don't like see them? Because there is, because I think what happens with adulthood, like, I think that's what's, what's marvelous about being in school and being in college is that you naturally see people. There isn't very much plan making at all. It's just like happening. Your friendships are just happening and they're happening around you all the time. And then the minute you become an adult, that those like naturally occurring friendships, you know, need to be scheduled. And it's like, so then what do you do? Well, so, but that's what I would kind of push back on is that I feel like I have friendships, particularly with people who like live far away or something where it's like, we just text a lot. And it's not, or like, we're like always in each other's Instagrams or whatever. And it's, and like, I still think that we're friends, but it's not so much like, can you do Thursday the 19th? No, I can't. Can you do six months from now? Sure. Like, it's not like, I'm so kind of. (laughs) How's never? It does never work for you. (laughs) I, I wish that there was a polite way to say, I love you. I care about you. I do not want to calendarize this relationship. I did that. I actually pulled How? that off. What is the language? Uh, I, Please my, tell me. <laughs> well, uh, I think you may it may be uh, helpful to be men of 50, which weren't raised in an emotional culture at all. Right. But my friend Jeremy Gittler and I would run into each other every so often, and we'd always have a good time. And then we'd say, hey, that was great. You know what? Let's just run into each other some other time. So one of us, I forgot which one, had to... F- actually broach the subject as a plan. You have to make the plan not to have a plan. Like, hey, how about this? Let's just know that every once in a while, because we have mutual friends, we're going to run into each other and enjoy that. And he said, that's a great idea. Now, I haven't seen Jeremy in about 12 years, so I don't know how well it's working. (laughs) No, but seriously, you can do this. It's just very hard. Do you know about the Dunbar number? Do you guys know what that is? No, the number of friends. Is that the number of friends? I think sociologist researcher said, About 150 people is how many human beings can really deal with and conceptualize as real people. And then they become abstractions. And he figures this out by looking at all uh, throughout history and culture. And I do think that's true. I think anything more than 150, it just becomes a name or a slot on a calendar. And unless you plan not to have a plan, you're going to run into oftentimes more trouble than it's worth. So I'm not a canceler. I mean, I think the the other thing is like so everyone is sort of like just uh a little depressed (laughs) and my feeling is if they saw more of their friends they would be less depressed but then those are also the same people that cancel so Hmm. so i i just want to say in defense of making a plan and not canceling uh it is better for your mental health if you see people and you will generally feel better after you see a person than what you felt like when you went into that occasion. So I feel like that's one thing. Also, I think just we're all, I think the way you started out, Mike, is 
Correct. I think we're all together, and listeners have heard me say this before, too focused on how we feel in our own comfort and our own convenience and our own this and our own that. And it's so everything is about like, fucking, what can I do for me and like deliver to my door and like, don't make me walk to a thing. And like, it's just like, everything will atrophy your brain, your body, your heart. Everything will atrophy if you continue at that pace. Do not be so obsessed with yourself. And we have this whole apparatus of solipsism that excuses Mm -hmm. it and invents words and phrases to tell you that this is the right thing to do and the never and the agoraphobic pajama lifestyle is self-care. You know, it's not. Stop. Sometimes it can be. There are gradations and gray areas, but man, are the excuses so easy or the phrases and the, uh, the cognitive off-ramp so easy to grasp for and just to tell you, oh, it's all okay. No, you're actually being a selfish person. Okay, so here's what I think it is for me. For me, I think it's less about, it's less about wanting to like stay in and be in my PJs and watch TV alone. And more that I, and I think maybe this is something that I'm like clinging to from college or also maybe this is something because I have like a toddler and like so much of my life is so like regimented around that. Mm -hmm. Like for me, the possibility of spontaneity is super important. Like nothing is more depressing to me than it being like Friday at 4 p.m. and I'm looking ahead to my weekend and I'm like, I have a thing Friday night and then Saturday morning this and then Saturday lunch that and then Saturday afternoon that and like, you know, and having like every block of my weekend or my like free time kind of like spoken for. For me, it's not that I don't want to see people. It's that there is a psychological difference to me between seeing a friend who it's been on the calendar for two and a half months and I've been staring it down and I'm like, Oh God, like, like this is now I got to go do this versus if a friend texted me that morning and said, Hey, do you want to go check out this thing at the museum? Like I would love to do that. And so for me, it's about like preserving doing that exact same thing with that exact same friend, but doing it in a way that feels spontaneous rather than, like, well, and also I think yeah. it, you're m- probably more likely to get that person, uh, that person's like true availability, like emotional, mental, and actual availability. Um, yeah. And so, it, and this is something, one of the final tips actually in the piece, which is what I like the most about the t- piece, was um, it said one final tip, embrace quasi-spontaneous plans, which is exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, which is, and, and, and these are, these are ones, you know, we ended up doing like a trip to upstate New York to see friends that was like arranged within a couple of days, which is the kind of thing that usually ends up being like weeks in advance and da 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 and there's a car and there's this and there's that and it was so fun and just the idea that we all happened to be free was amazing you know um and so that's like those are i think also with parenthood um i i end up having to embrace the quasi spontaneous plan more because it's just like there's so much that my that i have to like run around and do for my daughter like you know but there are nights that i have free or whatever and i'm a comedian so that's like annoying it kind of cuts out a lot and i also have to keep a lot of nights open for being a comedian so it's just like the quasi spontaneous plan ends up being some like a little bit of my saving grace personally yeah that's yeah. that's where i land as like that's like that's the kind of plan that I want. Like I want a plan that is planned within like 72 hours of the thing. Of a thing, yeah. I, the the kinds of plans that I hate that I end up canceling are the ones where it's like, 
we've all gotten our calendars together and we've decided that like 14 weeks from now, we will have a yeah. glass of wine at a bar. Like nothing could be less fun to me than, <laughs> than that. that. Right. <laughs> Mike, any final thoughts on this? Yes. One is I don't actually think Charlotte is an extrovert. I think she's given us a, a sorry. I don't think she's an introvert. I think she has a, so many extroverts or quasi extroverts say, but I'm really an introvert. Charlotte, in social situations, do you lose energy or gain energy? Lose energy. Okay. Really? <laughs> really? I'm saying that because I know the definition of an introvert. <laughs> yeah, you know the right answer. You're, what you are is a good student who is. So I do think that yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of time that we're put upon by being in situations we don't want to be in. But I think you might be more of an extrovert. It's the obligation. It's the Anything obligation. Could, yes. It's the obligation. It's the bromitment, and once that's on the schedule that becomes a looming thing rather than, you know, it's probably working on different synapses in your brain yeah. where it rests, a different pleasure center. And when it becomes, it becomes just, it stops living as uh, two hours you're going to spend together with a friend and starts living as this thing I have to do four weeks from Sunday. So it stops becoming a friendship interaction and it starts becoming this, you know, oppressive obligation. And so that's why yes. maybe the the three-day quasi spontaneity doesn't allow itself to fester in that manner. Exactly. And it's also like another thing to be on time for, which is the other reason I yeah. don't do workout classes because it's like another thing to be on time for. <laughs> All right, folks, let me know what you think. By the way, I do. I like the term uh, introvert and outrovert. So uh, I would like for us all as a country to adopt the, the term outrovert. Um, let us uh, move on. We were, we're going to hear actually a, a quick note about our sponsors who keep the lights on here at Fake the Nation. And when we come back, we'll continue our chatter. This HeadGum Podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit, even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, wow. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura Frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there. And you know what? You can update it with an app. So every time you take a new picture of a sweet little uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A Frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. Headgum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm -hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code HEADGUM at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app 
that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I have used rocket money. And you guys, honestly, I had no idea how many things I was subscribing to that I didn't want to be subscribing to. I think we all go into, we enter into subscriptions with a Pollyanna view that we're going to use as a subscription, even though it's a super obscure, you know, educational app from Albania that uh, teaches Russian math or whatever. And then you're like, I'm never going to use this. Why did I get it? I should remember to cancel it. And then you don't. And I know you guys are like me and I know you've done this to yourselves. And guess what? 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. So we're all in this bucket. And I think paying for that stuff is so angering and Rocket Money is there to help. Because basically Rocket Money shows you, hey, look at this is what all the things you are subscribed to. But then here's the bigger thing. To unsubscribe, you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Rocket Money unsubscribes for you with a click of a button. It's so easy. The other thing Rocket Money did for me, which I was incredibly grateful for, was reduce the cost of one of my bills. It was my cable bill. Yes, I still have cable. Rocket Money has over 5 million users that have saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I mean, that tracks for me and for the number of things I was paying for that I'm frankly ashamed of. So thank you, Rocket Money, for like fixing the shame glaze on my life. Uh, so stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation, you guys. And we are back and let us uh, step into topic number two. All right. We're going to talk about the Biden impeachment. It's been simmering in the background since Biden took office, but it was always stupid. It's still stupid. But it gained traction yesterday because Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who's the kind of speaker who every day has to worry about being ousted from being a speaker, he is now supporting a formal impeachment inquiry saying that there is real evidence. Now, if you're like the average person, you're probably wondering what evidence. Also, what is any of this about? Because it's 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 been kind of... I, and I, I wonder how it's landed in your ears. I mean, you're both, you know, uh, serious people um, who read the news and know the news and report on the news. So this may be different to you, but I feel like for the average person, like if I mention it to my mom, she'll be like, what what impeachment? What did he do? You know, why? Why is he? In, why impeachment inquiry? So like, how kind of like is how has this landed in your uh, on your radar? Oi, vey. Well. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, I mean, there's he does not have the goods. There is no evidence, no hard evidence to support an impeachment of President Biden right now. To me, uh, to me, this is um, an attempt by the GOP to essentially create what is their most powerful political create more of what is their most powerful political substance, which is what about Like they just want any, any bad thing that you can say about the Republican party circa 2023, which is, which there are many bad things to say. Um, they 
they are politically invested in making it so in muddying the waters so that the American people believe those same things about the Republican Party. So it's not a coincidence. I don't think that this is happening after months of Donald Trump being indicted for various crimes, you know, so this helps them to make an argument to very exhausted and confused American voters that like both sides are bad, both sides are terrible. You know, uh, Trump's been indicted, Biden's been impeached, everybody's a liar, everybody sucks because that helps them to uh, sort of excuse what's happening in their own house, basically. Mike Pesca. Can you imagine being Kevin McCarthy? Can you imagine having 222 colleagues, actually 221, that's how many, there are 222 Republicans, and at any moment, you can't have more than four of them be upset with you. Because if you have four of them saying, I don't like this person anymore, your job, the one that you've been wanting your whole life may be over. And also, let me add to that, that of these more than four people can't be upset with you, one is Matt Gates, <laughs> one is Lauren Boebert, <laughs> one is, right? There's a, there's a few wild cards in that mix. So in general, Charlotte is right. Now, I would say, Nagin, your mom says Vadi's impeachment, although why is she sounding like a Jewish lady? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but would she say Vat like the what? That's Vat, yeah, yeah, yeah. Vat, yeah. The Iranians um, will do a little V on there. There is a there is a Persian Jewish overlap, I find. Yeah, like, indeed. Hair kinkiness. Yes, areas. yes. But, but if you're in a certain circle of America, you're like, oh my God, thank God it's time for impeachment. I can't believe the Biden crime family has been getting off scot-free thus far. Now, the problem is that circle of society is unrepresentative of the average voter and even the persuadable voter. And McCarthy, and I think Mitch McConnell knows this, and McCarthy must know this, that deep down, the people within his party who are clamoring for impeachment might be so beholden to the part of America that just knows all the narratives of Burisma and Victor Shokin and every little detail of when uh, Hunter Biden was on the phone and received what diamond from what Chinese billionaire, all things that, by the way, happened. Um, they're so enamored and entrenched in that world, they cannot see that this will blow back to them. I, I'm not 100% pr predicting it will, but it is a huge danger. It is a huge danger that the Republicans use their political capital to pursue this impeachment that will either register as nothing because uh, they come up with nothing or will register as a giant waste of time going against a father who just loves his son with substance abuse issues. So there is this danger in that that I think McCarthy knows, but I do think the members of his caucus who are clamoring for the impeachment, they may, may be living in such a different world, they don't see how it's going to play to the American people. But I will say that I do think there are more answers that I, as a curious American, would like to know. I haven't come to conclusions yet. I think there is no evidence that I've seen that Joe Biden personally benefited from anything that Hunter did. I think that there is just very weak and tendentious evidence that says that Joe Biden, you know, influenced politics or the American agenda in any way just for Hunter's benefit. 
But, you know, if there was a more perfect world where Joe Biden didn't have this son with addiction issues, uh, so that's how perfect the world would be, and we could have fair people looking at it, I would welcome all the answers as to why Hunter Biden said on a text message, you know, I'd be giving half my money to pop it. I bet it's a decent answer, but we haven't gotten that answer yet. That said, I, I, I worry about, I don't worry about this. I do think McCarthy knows this could be a really stupid mistake. And and the the only thing that I've heard is basically in terms of evidence is that there's an IRS, there are a couple of IRS whistleblowers who testified that the IRS slow walked the investigation of Hunter Biden because they um, because he's the son of the president and that slow walking kind of ran out the statute of limitations on certain charges. So it sort of like lessened what could happen to Hunter um, yeah, a and, federal prosecutor told me that they never let the statute of limitations run out. That is just either they decide to prosecute or not. So that's a little unusual. Okay, so then there's that. And then, but and and then the other thing that I guess some a business associate of Hunter Biden's said that Biden stopped by a business dinner and said hi. Um, and I and again, I think like do I love that Biden had. Probably, you know, probably did stop by a business dinner and said hi to his son or whatever. I don't love that that kind of thing happens. What I do think is, though, that that probably has happened with like every child of a president since the beginning of time. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't think we there's um there's formal legality, right? And being a lobbyist, here's the problem: is totally fucking legal, right? That's kind yeah. of the the problem is that is that what that what his job was a legal job and being the son of the president is also legal right so then both of those things they exist they occur we don't have rules about that and so that's really the problem it makes us feel icky but there's nothing like technically wrong with it it is icky right but it's un- you know unfortunately that's just like the way it is it's legal. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel I totally agree with everything Mike said. And I also feel like what has base what is basically happening here is for months, if not years, um, there has been people there on the right, there has been a sort of like fever dream about the appearance of wrongdoing around Hunter Biden. And there have been yeah. all different ways that this has manifested. It's been the laptop. It's been Burisma. It's been you know, th- th- there, there are various different iterations. And listen, the guy clearly, like, he's got some serious issues. Like, I'm not trying to say that, like, like Mike said. He's an know. upstanding, yeah, 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 yeah. right, okay. But so, like, there has been this, like, pervasive appearance of wrongdoing or or theoretical appearance of wrongdoing that they've, that they've, like, really been trying hard to breathe real life into and what this impeachment inquiry allows them to do is to subpoena documents that could then potentially depending on what they find allow them to they might maybe they do find real evidence or maybe they just subpoena a lot of stuff and then they find like it it allows them to actually dig and get you know bank records and stuff like that which is probably not great news um for anybody, you know? Um, so I think that that's, uh, you know, if, if, if you are, I think Mike is right that it's, it is also very likely to backfire, but also, you know, the other side of this is that it's also very likely to sort of keep Hunter Biden and Biden's impeachment in the news. And one thing that I've learned on, on over reporting on this, 
on sort of the way Americans think about politics for many years now is that there doesn't have to be evidence for it to convince voters. They, right. You know, so you can be a very clear thinking, hard headed person and know that there is no real evidence of wrongdoing by the president in this matter. And yet the right wing media machine is able to construct the the appearance of wrongdoing around almost anything. So that's the danger here. But to their people, I think, to the people who are already plugged into the right wing media machine, I think that there, there are certain scandals that people believe that have absolutely nothing to them and really are just fever dreams. And there are certain scandals like maybe this, this is a scandal when it comes to Hunter and his behavior. Is it a scandal when it comes to Joe? I mean, in a sentence, here's a thing that's not good. Joe Biden was in charge of rooting out corruption in Ukraine. At the same time, his son was working for a corrupt company at Ukraine. That's a fact and that's not good. However, That's not good. And I would say Joe Biden did not act with the utmost of ethics in that position. However, 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 the links between Hunter giving anything to his dad or his dad doing anything that helped Hunter. I mean, his dad, I guess, could have thrown his body in front of Hunter Biden and said, you will not take this job. He chose not to do it. His dad called Hunter. He calls Hunter every day. And some of those calls occurred when he was with business associates. But yeah, so there are things of this that isn't like, Hillary Clinton drinks the blood of babies, right? right? There's a (laughs) little more to it than that. But if they really do, if they subpoena records, they'll spin records into, they'll spin whatever they find, even if it's nothing, into maybe something if you want to believe. But if it really is nothing, I do think this will redound to their detriment. Okay, but Mike, I actually want to bounce off something you just said, which is that I actually think Hillary Clinton is a really good example here because she's also somebody where... She was constantly under investigation, Libya, like there were all kinds of things that she was under investigation for. And most of those things came up with buckus when it was Mm -hmm. when it when it was sort of actually rubber meets the road, evidence of real wrongdoing, like nothing. But the constant drumbeat of scandal, scandal, liar, liar, her emails, Libya, whatever, you know, uh, like it has a it has a. It has an effect on people. You know, it, it it makes people think, oh, both sides are bad. Both sides are lying. Both sides have Right. Scandal. It like yeah. attaches to her. What it did with her specifically, I think, is it attached to her this kind of like she's a manipulative, bad person thing, even though there was no like real it's like and then you would say but why and then people couldn't specifically relay but it's just like it hit, the drumbeat had done its job that's um, a, i mean that's a good example but of course sexism and hillary's of lack course. of skill yeah. she would say lack of skill as a politician and compare it to barack obama there was no i mean they tried to just this last week tucker carlson was interviewing a uh, 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 a guy who claims to have had an affair with Bar- anyway i don't want to i definitely don't want to get into yeah. it but they didn't <laughs> they couldn't successfully try that with Obama. And they didn't do that with Joe Biden in in the last election because because the actual information hadn't come to light. So now it does seem to be somewhat correlative, not perfectly correlative and not exactly fairly expressed by the most feverish um, corners of the Jim Jordan verse, but it seems at least a little bit correlative with stuff that she's done wrong or he's done wrong. Like, Hillary Clinton didn't do anything wrong when it came to, say, Uranium One. That was a bullshit scandal. But when it came to 
using the Clinton Foundation to raise money and also turn around to have some actual power. It's acceptable. It's the way job the job is done, but it's also a little swampy. Right. So there were th- something. Right. The, the email server, she would admit, was it yeah, a high crime misdemeanor? Great. Should it have been prosecuted? Comey told us no, but it doesn't seem like the best uh, practices, just like this Biden thing with Ukraine is certainly not the best practice. To that exact point, like that is the type of thing that could come up here, though. You know, some little thing that you're right, is not a high crime and misdemeanor, but could could within the context of the drumbeat of alleged wrongdoing could still kind of, you know, have a little bit more of an impact than we think. All right, folks, let me know what, where are you on this Biden impeachment situation? Like, I'm more curious about even if it's crossed your um, radar in a meaningful way, because I know it it feels sort of like it to me, it just feels like it's been just like fringe news or like trying to make it into the mainstream news for so long. And like now it's having a moment or whatever. Um, I don't know. I'm so curious. Hit me up. Now let's get into topic number three. So in the last month, we've seen a spate of articles about aging countries. In a Times piece I read, um, it said that by 2034, there will be more Americans uh, sorry, New York Times piece, not Time Magazine. Just to be clear here, we're we're with a Times uh, correspondent, a Time Magazine correspondent. Um, but it said by 2034 there'll be more Americans past retirement age than there are children. Um, and we've never thought of America this way, but America's really old, uh, and it's and it's getting older. I mean, here's some more interesting statistics. There's an average of 10,000 boomers who turn 65 every day. So the pressure is mounting because we, all of our social services are not geared towards this uh, volume of senior citizens. So I guess uh, my first question is, um, what what do you think are the consequences of a kind of aging society? I think we have to raise the retirement age, first of all. <laughs> well, all of these stats are based on the idea that 65 is old, but it's not. Those guys are still watching Marvel movies and wearing board shorts. Right, yes, right. It is 65 true does not feel old, definitely <laughs> anymore. Old. It does not. Yeah. Remember our, you know, forefathers 65 and what that meant? And then we think of the current 65. I don't know. Maybe it's that the most powerful people in the country are in their 80s or about to be. That 65 is seeming particularly spry. Um, <laughs> I do I do think, though, in terms of funding our obligations, it is better to have fewer people needing the funding on the retirement end and more people paying into the funding. Absolutely true. But then if you look at societies with huge youth cohorts, like many of the countries in the Middle East, that is a bad formula for success. So I don't know, you know, you hear about the gerontocracies of Western Europe, you hear about the young countries of Africa and the Middle East. Basically, demographers have convinced us that there is no good age cohort that any country should aspire to. And, even, you know, China has the one-child policy, and now they seem to regret it. India has passed them in terms of population. Is there ever a good answer for how old a country should be? I think maybe the best answer is just redefine youth upwards. But also, I mean, I think the answer to the question is, like, what is the best mix? The best mix is that there's more young people who can, there's enough young people who can pay for the aging of the old people. Like, I think yeah. it comes down to just that math problem. And, the pro- and like, when you look at a place like Japan, so, like, Japan 
is the oldest of all of the Western economies. Um, and they have had to uh, increase the retirement age. Much older people are now working. They've had to add rest areas in like their job sites or whatever, ramps and handrails, because they're just literally having old people do labor intensive jobs. And they're just expecting that like they'll do it and they'll just need a little bit more rest. So they'll probably also be less productive doing those jobs. Um, they've had 450 schools close every year um, because there's just not enough kids to fill those schools. So imagine the shuttering of schools. It feels particularly depressing to me. Um, they just it's 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 just it's a it's a money problem, you know, and it and it's a and it's a workforce problem because we need young people to take care of the old people just literally with with labor. But it's also, you know, I also, I think that this is interesting in terms of what it says about the social and economic conditions that led to this generation gap, right? Because these boomers who are, you know, 10,000 of them are turning 65 every day, they were part of the baby boom, right? So like, what were the conditions that allowed their parents to have so many kids? Uh, yeah. Government subsidized higher education through the GI Bill. Um, you could buy a house for like $30,000. Um, there were really strong unions that, you know, made it so that um, a single man, sorry, so, so that a man working uh, a job at a factory could make enough money to support a family of four very easily and also have a car and go to Disney World and take his kids out to dinner. Um, and then now, so so those were the that those were the conditions in which this very old generation of boomers was born, and the reason that there isn't a huge cohort of younger people coming up behind them to, uh, you know, age into these jobs, to grow the economy, to make more money to support them, is because the conditions that allowed their parents to have four, five, six kids have radically changed, and. I'm seeing this right now, frankly, there was, um, you know, I'm 34, I have a, 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 a almost two year old. And I'm like, one of the only people that I know who has a kid, which is, yeah. Un yeah. which is unusual, because I'm, I'm 34, I have a college education, I'm married. What Love city do you live? Where, where do you live? I, I live in Brooklyn. Um, okay. So you know, that's a little that might be a little young for Brooklyn. But <laughs> yeah, you're like a you're like you're yeah, you're basically like, you had like a teenage pregnancy by yeah, by by I, New York City standards. Exactly. <laughs> I, I always say I'm like a Brooklyn teen mom. But like, yeah, but but actually that is a huge part so of normal. this question, yeah. though, is that like, you know, my grandmother, the mother, you know, who my, my grandmother is of the generation who had the baby boomers, right? Because my parents are baby boomers. My grandmother uh, had her first kid at 19, her second kid at 23, her third kid at like 27 or whatever. By the time she was my age, she had a middle schooler, right? So that, so, but the reason that she was able to do that is that social and economic conditions were such that she and my grandfather felt like in their early 20s, they could support a family and nobody feels like that anymore. So it's like, mm -hmm. so that's why there aren't, you know, th the reason that I'm one of the only people my age who has a kid is not because there's anything special about me. It's because my generation has been like totally screwed by these by these social and economic conditions, and you can't get a house, and you can't get a get health insurance, and everyone has student debt. And I, that's why. 
I don't I don't disagree with that assessment, but I would also add there's a huge other component, which is women's rights, which like our grandmothers didn't have. And uh, I would say a culture of supporting women in the workforce that they didn't have and a cultural norm, which which suggested that women's greatest role was to like pump out babies. Right. And so there so there was all that those things that gave rise to it. And the other interesting thing about the baby boom, it was unusual. Like they call it the baby boomer generation because it was a sudden population increase, the likes of which they had never seen before. So we sort of forget like the baby boom is also a little bit what fucked us. Because if we had gone on a normal path, like we wouldn't have the population that we, we wouldn't have such a large population of baby boomers uh, we, just general population numbers would be lower. The boom meant that we had to build a ton more schools that are now shuttering, right? In Japan, the boom yeah. meant, you know, that like there, there's this imbalance. So the the boom itself is a problem um, that has, you know, that's that's now having knock-on effects for the globe. Um, Mike, my question to you is about migration. So there's country, countries like China. I mean, China's interestingly fucked because it lifted. And by the way, you were saying conditions. Oh, this is a point I want to make about conditions to have a kid, that they were ba- ba- better for our grandmother's age. That things were cheaper. It was easier. Here's what's interesting. China lifted the one-child policy in 2016. They wanted the ki- their citizens to have um, up to three children, and they started enticing them with cash incentives, discounted real estate, extended maternity leave, all of that. And none of that was successful. Interesting. So so there's there you go with a little bit of help and creating the conditions to make people want to have more kids. When um, you say China is fucked, it, that's precisely wrong. No, I mean literally in terms of uh, procreation. Oh, yeah. And sex. <laughs> yeah, they are not. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, if they were fucking, we wouldn't be in this situation. The... Facts are that the economy is greatly correlative with birth rates. And so, Charlotte, you were talking about how you're one of the few people in your neighborhood or maybe in your field or graduated from college, your college friends, maybe high school friends who have a kid. But if you look at women without a college degree, average age of first birth, about 24 women with a college degree, about 31. So would you advise people not to have a college degree? But no, no it's not. a yeah. Right. So it's but it's a bifurcation of America. You get a college degree, you establish yourself in your career, you put off for logical economic reasons having a baby. And then, you know, about in the 90s, you put it off until your 20s and then things were fine and maybe a house was or a decent middle class, upper middle class life was within reach. Now it's not. So the birth rates in the 90s were increased from the decade before when economic times weren't as good and the birth rates in the last 10 years have decreased because of the Great Recession and economic times. Um, but also it's greatly different depending on where you are. There's New York, San Francisco, some zip codes of Brooklyn, lowest ages of first birth, whereas you look at like the Mississippi Delta, but also all throughout the Midwest and all in Texas, very low, comparatively low age for mothers. And that also is exactly if you put a map of housing costs on top of birth rates, you would see exactly. that it was almost the same map. Yes, exactly. So there's a, yeah. So there's a lot of stuff going on. It's not just generationally. It's our, it's 
just how college education and um, our social milieu have totally dovetailed. So, you know, people, a college graduate isn't just how much education you have. It's what kind of person you are and what kind of life choices you make. And it's also um, the affordability is not, it's true in general that things are less affordable, but if you move or live a different kind of lifestyle, maybe a lesser lifestyle, then things become more affordable. Americans are moving so much less than they used to. All these cross trends going on, and I can't even begin to price China into it. And I wanted to to bring it back to migration for a quick second here to, to wrap it up and get your thoughts on migration. The interesting thing is just to like... I don't know. This is a to give us a little pat on the back here in America. um, We actually don't have as big a problem with replacing our population because we do have migration. Now, I understand that we are shitty in so many aspects of immigration and the refugee crisis and all of that. Now, that stipulated, we are still, um, you know, doing so much better with replacing our population with migration and accepting migration. And we are, in fact a country of migrants, right? So it's it's not unusual for us to do that. By contrast, in Japan, only um, uh, 2% of the population is immigrants. In India, 0.3%. And China has the lowest, a 0.1%. It's almost impossible for a foreigner to get Chinese citizenship. So you, you know, you think of a country like that, in, in Germany, by contrast, 17% of the people in Germany were foreign-born in uh, 2021. So so different countries are having different reactions. And also, like xenophobia plays into the, po- the public policies that they're making, what role—it uh, it sort of makes me, you know, it, it heartens me that we have already a, a, some sort of a acceptance that immigrants come here and they not only replace our population and our tax base, um, you know, but they help with just the replace our population replacement population uh, issue. So uh, what did you what do you think of um, migration as a solution in the future? But it seems less a policy and more a happenstance. I mean, Canada does migration correctly. Trudeau says right. we have a goal of half a million migrants and they pull in all these people and, you know, Canada's older than we are, but isn't faced with the replacement problem because their population is growing by conscious choice from their migration policy. Of course, Canada shares a southern border with the United States and the United States shares a southern border with Mexico. That fact alone, and I'm not even kidding how cold it is in Canada, (laughs) dissuades a lot of people from going there. You know, so I I can't magically wish uh, Canada's migration policies on us. We're different countries geographically, but that's the way to do it. All right, folks, um, let me know. (laughs) Do you feel the graying of America? Um, And what do you think about it? Hit me up. All right, that is the end of the show. I'm so excited that you were both on. What a phenomenal conversation. Um, I feel so great having spoken to both of you and I would love for the people of Fake the Nation to be able to follow you and all of the wonderful things that you do. Charlotte, where do they do that? Um, You can listen to Time's Person of the Week podcast and you can also follow me on Twitter at at Charlotte Alter. Uh, Guys, absolutely be, you should be subscribing to the Time Person of the Week podcast. Uh, We all know the Person of the Year cover and this promises to be um, more of that 
feeling. Um, I love. I actually love the titillation, the feel, the the surprise, the you know the you know of like who who is the time person of the year? Oh my god! So um, I imagine having that same feeling every week with the pod. So what a what a wonderful conceit. Uh, Mike Pesca, where do they find you? Well, I have the Gist podcast. I have a Substack called Pesca Profundities, and uh, I I tweet or X at Pesca me P E S C A M I and. I don't want to steal any of Thar- Charlotte's thunder, but I was the time person of the year in 2007. This is a visual. I am holding up the actual Time Magazine cover with a piece of uh, tinfoil on it that tried to convince us all in 2006, I guess, we were the time person of the year. Mike, but I, I look I looked to this and I get affirmation from it, Charlotte. I cannot believe that you have that. I can't I know, believe and I, that it's physically there. And I can't believe you had it. Uh, on hand yeah like it was within he didn't get up and leave the room or anything no. like that he just like had it it was like it was there ready for this moment it's like he knew this moment was gonna happen yeah uh, look at some of these some i'm leafing through some of the ads it looks like this upstart company may, named paypal might be going somewhere. yeah oh my God. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> all right, folks, you know where to find me and all the things I do, but I want to let everybody know that it, theoretically I have fully updated my website for the fall, I think. So you will find all of my dates in the fall, and I want to alert Boston area listeners. I'm going to be on the MIT campus doing a free show on September 22nd. The information is on my website, nagineforsaw.com. Um, click on the events tab, and you can see all the information on how to get tickets. Um and it's oh, but here's the wild thing is it's free. So uh, if you are in the Boston area in Cambridge, come out to MIT on September 22nd. I will be doing an entire hour of the case for American exceptionalism by a lady Muzz, um, my hour of stand up comedy um, at MIT. I would love to see you there. We're also doing a live podcast taping um, of the reason we're all still here podcast um, at the green space. And it's going to be really fun. And it's this crazy we're going to be looking at Dr. Strangelove um, and how it is how it affected how it is um, both a documentary and how it has affected so many things um, since since it came out. Um, so I'll, I'll I'll let you know more about that. That'll be in, on October 3rd. Um, and I have I'm going to be doing Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me dates September 27th in San Diego. Um, the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me stand up tour um, in September 29th in San Francisco. Um, so you can p- see me doing stand up in those cities. I also have a other dates coming up, um, you know, in in DC and Philadelphia. So um, so stay tuned for those dates. But they should all now be on my website, um, which I know has been a problem for myself. Um, uh, and I would love to thank everyone who makes the show a possibility. That's our wonderful producer Andrew McGuire. Thanks to Gabby Alter for our fantastic theme music. Thanks to everyone at Headgum for making the show a possibility. If you if you have any thoughts you want to send to us, please email us at Nagifars. No. Don't email us at Nagin Farsad at anything because that's not a real email address. Email us at fakethenationpodcast at gmail.com. Um, again, that's fakethenationpodcast at gmail.com. Um, and let us know what you think. Also, don't forget to subscribe at patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad where you get really fun bonus episodes of the show, um, among other goodies. Fake the na- uh, Again, that's patreon.com. Oh, my God. I have so many verbal like <laughs> problems today. And I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why. On. What happened? Did I not curse. sleep? It's fucking fall. It's, it's fucking fall. fall. That's it's why. Um, uh, patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. And um, otherwise, we will be back in your earballs next week.
That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>